Steer the Tennis Podcast. Big admirer of the pod and one of your backers here received a lovely shout out from y'all, including a fond memory of a time I introduced myself to Matt at Roland Garros after a Kuzmova match on Simone Mathieu. Thanks for that. There is something really endearing about that simple recognition. No idea if you read essays coming through the website, but I have an admittedly minor bone to pick. I'm writing in hopes that you'll reconsider your position of talking trash about non-Rafael Nadal male athletes wearing tank tops. Some tennis tragic mates of mine know that I am generally appreciative of all types of athlete bodies, men and women, and I'm a personal fan of tanks and short shorts for men as stylistic choices. I like to see the bodies of athletes on display and don't really understand why men seem so eager to wear blankets over their biceps or knees while working out. Just a personal taste thing. Anyway, my friends brought my attention to the fact that Twitter was going crazy about Sasha Zverev's tank top and that there was a general feeling he didn't have the physique to pull it off. Something echoed on your show to my, again, admittedly minor disappointment. I am actually in some disbelief about this. First, it's worth noting that Zverev is not somebody I enjoy watching. And I think he is deserving of real criticism about his behavior. In fact, I think the ATP really shamed itself by not instituting a domestic violence policy and suspending him after the accusations levied by his ex. All of that is far more important than critiques of his arms. My commentary really isn't about him. Other male players wearing tanks yesterday included Mikhail Emer and Lee Tu. Terrific story there. And I wonder if the tank top critique would be levied at these lesser known players. Perhaps the criticism of Zverev is really grounded in feelings about his character or play style. All that said, Zverev is one of the best tennis players in the world and a high-end athlete with an incredible physique. He has a chiseled body, very little body fat, and arms that show distinct musculature. But what if he didn't? What if he had long, skinny arms? What if he was little on the heavy side? There is no questioning that he works extremely hard to support his physique, and that that sort of fitness is very difficult for most adult men to acquire. My question to you is, what is the message it sends when fans or critics start saying, this world-class athlete's body isn't good enough to show? I don't want to draw a false equivalence between how men and women receive feedback on their bodies in our cultural climate. I'm just pointing out that maybe critiquing male bodies on their physical worthiness for a style feels weird to me. I don't really understand where it comes from. Or to turn it towards the positive, perhaps it would be better to celebrate all of the bodies on display. One thing I love about tennis is how it supports polymorphous body types. You have long, stretchy ectomorphs like Kevin Anderson or lean Gumby types like Djokovic or compact, wiry, taut bodies like those of Alex de Menor or David Goffin or bruising, agricultural, thick-chested Warinkas or Sandgrens. The diversity across gender, across body type, it's a big part of tennis's appeal in my opinion. You can have a body resembling that of Serena Williams or Taylor Townsend or the Pliskova sisters or Simona Halep Katie Bolter, and high-end athleticism aside, you can still play this beautiful game. Again, my point isn't about Zverev. He's a bit of an unwelcome distraction 
in many ways. The point is more that we are fans of a sport, and the bodies on display aren't all the same. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. Perhaps I have a bias towards a style of less clothing. I live in Austin, Texas, and I lived in Melbourne for the past few years, and for my taste, wearing less, particularly during the hot summer days, is more. I am not and will never be built like Zverev. But I have become a committed runner and swimmer in recent years, and I have learned that treating my body with all the care and energy I can is a worthy use of my time. And when I look at professional athletes and admire their skill and grace and beauty, I find much to inspire my own efforts to care for my body. And so I think athlete bodies should be admired and appreciated across the board and not shamed. Sincerely, David Kalina, The Tennis Tragic. Um, we had a lot of things to say in the last podcast about what Alexander Zverev was wearing um, and is continuing to wear throughout this tennis podcast, um, a sort of vest top. And while I and I think we collectively very much stand by our criticism of that outfit because of the nickname that that top has the world over. Um, I very much stand by that. Our, our opinions about some of the other criticisms of that outfit have rather changed on the basis of, of a correspondence that we've received from one of our listeners, David, um, which frankly I just want to read out because... I agree with everything that he says, and I think all three of us do, um, and I'm completely convinced um, of the arguments made in this message, uh, and it's completely overturned um, what we what what we said, I think, in, in the previous podcast. I'm very grateful for that perspective being brought to our attention in such an eloquent way, and I agree with everything that David has had to say there. Mm. Yeah. And it is it is such a wonderful thing and and quite a unique thing that tennis takes takes all body types, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it is. There's hope for us all. So Matt, I wrote this letter to the tennis podcast and you know, I submitted it through their website and I thought nobody's maybe they'll read it, but I you know, what's gonna happen with it? I, I don't know if you know, what's gonna happen. And I'm so glad you wrote to them. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my friend Joe on the topic of the tank top criticism, the sphere of arm physique criticism more specifically, because that's really what it was about, not not the style choice. Um, so, yeah, maybe for anybody who doesn't know what happened, um, do you want to explain like what you were reading on Twitter? Um, yeah. I was just, it was like, it was a bit of like pop, pop news kind of thing. Like, oh, Zvera's arms aren't as good as Nadal's. Why is he wearing a tank top? It's a crime against fashion. Look at his skinny arms. They're not as good as Nadal's. He's the only one who should really wear a tank top. He's got the big muscles. Leave it to Nadal's, Zverev. And it was just such a stupid news article that didn't have any real content. It was, you know, clickbait, basically. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, you guys messaged me about it. And I was just like, really? Like, that's, 
it just it just seemed like it just seems so bizarre to criticize an athlete's physique um, in that way, you know. And you know, I maybe I felt defensive because I like to wear tank tops, <laughs> you know. Like if if Zverev's arms aren't good enough, then mine certainly aren't. I know. What hope do the rest of us have if he can't wear it? Then he's got he's got good arms. Yeah, he's clearly an elite athlete. You know, he's got a six pack. You can see it if he takes his shirt off. It, that's a hard level of fitness for most people to reach. You know, especially in ad- in later adulthood, especially for those of us with jobs that don't, you know, require us to train in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, the the tennis podcast apparently they read it and really liked it, and I guess they had been kind of receiving some criticism on the point that um, in the in the email that David Law sent me, he was saying that like we got some other notes that were really not not so fair and not so you know so thoughtful on Twitter. Um, so no big surprise there, and. I didn't realize this until like the day after they put it on the podcast because it just went to my spam folder, his email. Um, he asked me for permission to use the, use the text. And so I was like, oh my God, they're actually using it. And I, I flipped, I flipped on, I had only listened to half the podcast that day because um, I have a job and, you know, just between the job and tennis, these like past couple of weeks, it's hard to find time for anything else. And, um, yeah, Catherine Whitaker read the whole thing and basically said that, you know, they fully agreed and that they retract that part of their criticism, you know, not the criticism of his style choice, you know, and there's an extra layer there because of the domestic violence accusations and the choice of clothing, which is kind of thorny, but the specific act, the specific comments about him not having the physique for it, they were, they were moved by and. Right. So they stood by. Um, the fact that that type of garment is sometimes called a wife beater. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and they had kind of said that it was the case that that's like a known thing around the world. And I, I had thought that was an American thing for some reason, but apparently not. Yeah, I thought it was more to do with like an undergarment of that, like a singlet top, but not like a top, like a. But I guess there's little difference, isn't there? Right. I I mean, Zverev's top is more like a basketball jersey. It kind of looks like you yeah. know, it's um, it, yeah. it's like it's lengthy, and the way it's cut, you know, it's got this. It's almost like a boxy kind of presentation. Yeah. Um. So I agree. I don't think that necessarily all tank tops would be referred to that way. Yeah. yeah. Um. But that that is a layer, and it, it does show like sort of a lack of thoughtfulness, like either on the part of his sponsor Adidas or him personally. I don't know. I mean, he you know Zverev is defiant about the accusations, and he denies them, and but it still feels like it like kind of callous to to be so dismissive or to show no caring. I mean, that I think that's one of the things that really damns him in the whole drama. It's like. Dude, you could you in all of that you could still like make a passionate statement about how you abhor domestic violence and you know it's not okay. I mean, you almost expect these milk toast, um, you know, statements that are like carefully crafted by his PR team or something. But you, I don't get a sense of like real remorse from Zverev. 
No. And uh, it's unfortunate. But anyway, um, yeah, I my I felt really elated to have my perspective like kind of taken in by people who don't know me and appreciate it. And I, I almost feel like that's that's what I that's what the internet could be, you know? Like it, there's some ideal internet where we could have respectful conversations and and affect one another and and listen to one another. And that, you know, part of why I, I refused I mean I refuse to use Twitter because I think it's bad for humanity, but I I also just find that like expressing myself on Twitter feels weird. Like I have to reduce everything to this to these tiny little segments of thoughts, whereas sometimes it's good to just take your time and elaborate on an idea and examine it from different sides. And I feel like all of that gets lost in in the noise on Twitter. Yeah, you know, you can post links on Twitter, David. Yeah, I know, but it it's still like I just find that the the experience of communicating with people on Twitter is kind of chaotic. Like, I, I couldn't have made this argument on Twitter to the tennis podcast, I don't think. I mean, sure, I could have written a Medium article or something or posted it on a website and then linked to my website. I don't know that that would have been received the same way. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. But, I, I mean, personally, I think Twitter has its place because, like, you can make a pithy kind of statement and uh, mm. maybe teaches you to to be um, concise I think it, sure. yeah, I think it kind of has its place, but definitely for the point that you were making about you were making quite a um, enlarged uh, meaty, meaty argument about um, body image and stuff, and definitely email was the right format for that. Yeah, um, yeah, glad that it connected, and even though you know, I like reflecting on it. I think it wasn't such a big stretch. Like I think they all would consider themselves to be body positive or against body shaming. You know, I think they just, I think it was one of those, you know, it was like a teachable moment, sort of like we discussed last time on the pod. You know, they, I think they just didn't realize it in the moment that they were critiquing somebody in a way about, about his body that, that could be, yeah, that could be a strange message. That could be something other people think like, ah, oh, this is, like yeah, what hope is there for me? Like I don't look like that. Like, just it's just not the right kind of spiritual energy to put out into the world. I think. So. No, no, it needed to be said. I mean, like you know, usually, and more often and more importantly, it's about um, women's and body image that you know. I think uh, is the most problematic. Yes. But it's a something for for everybody, all genders, all everywhere on the spectrum about bodies. People who have bodies um, are held to these unrealistic standards, and but there's something so heteronormative and and like just I don't know, um, really too obvious about. Nadal's muscles you know like every time he's like well at least at the Australian Open it seems like Rafa show us the muscles you know like he gets off the court and he's like can you just show us the muscles one last time and then the crowd goes swooning (laughs) for Nadal's masculine muscles Um, and that's supposed to be the titillating thing you know for all of us yeah Um, it's just so Uh, one-dimensional and 
one very particular type of admiration for the for a type of human body whereas you know there's just a multitude of ways we can look at the body and appreciate it yeah you know i think the like the sports media has gotten good at not sexualizing or objectifying women whereas that was definitely not always the case and you know that people are doing that and it's also like it's one thing they still do it obviously all the time obviously well we're attracted to other human beings and why wouldn't we talk about that i mean that i think that's part of it it's also it's where you're making these kinds of statements like you know if you and i in private talk about who we find attractive I don't, like I, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when you're like, you're speaking to an audience of a million people on television, and you talk about somebody's legs or butt or arms, you know, it's. I just think that's not the right message, and I, I do think the media has generally gotten better at that. Um, but you know, of course, the culture still sends mixed messages about that, and. Um, yeah, women women deal with a lot more crap in that department. And that's part of why I tried to, you know, tried to call that out and also talk about a little bit, reference some females with different bodies. Yeah, yeah it was great. Are you going to read out the letter that you um Yeah, read? I've re- I've recorded it and uh I was going to put some like typewriter sounds against it. I'm not sure if that's like too corny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love those effects. With like a little carriage return, you know, periodically. Someone on Facebook was just like, can we please talk about Ash Barty's guns and just put that photo of Ash Barty there? <laughs> yeah. And then everyone was like going, yes, we can. Oh my God, she is so great. Look at those guns. And because it's, which sounds pretty objectifying, but I think it's really positive as well because... And these are mainly women or female identifying um, kind of people or non-binary people that are saying saying this as well. They're like mm. um, marveling at a, a strong woman there with um, heaps big muscles. <laughs> Look at those guns, and I think right. that's, I think that's kind of okay because they're just. They're looking at, they're not sexualizing her or objectifying her, really. They're just talking about, I don't know, marveling at a body and what it can do. Like, a body as a tool, a body that, um, yeah, can do things. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like, I mean, is it always okay to reference a body if you're speaking about it positively? Like, No, I don't think it is, though. It's subtle it's a subtle thing you gotta you gotta know when you gotta be very sensitive i think even so even if you're talking positively yeah like like thinking um daniel medvedev yesterday had a uh had a medical timeout where he had his glute worked on um or his glutes i, I guess you know there's the gluteus maximus and medial glu- anyway i mean that's the butt and right. you know having a strong set of glute muscles is super key it's like having you know i mean it's part of the you could you could call it part of the core right it's all the the butt and the abs like all that stuff tennis players in particular i think all high-end athletes they need to have really um 
really taut musculature in those areas. So, right, you, you know, but it still seems like, uh, you know, calling somebody out for having like a great butt, like a real strong butt, just seems wrong because it's like too close to the realm of um, commenting on their physical attractiveness. Yeah, definitely need to be careful. Yeah, it is such a fine line. I and I I do think with yeah, with women like commenting on on their arm strength, their um physical strength, out their outward strength. Maybe that's you know, it's I think it's kind of interesting because it's often not regarded as you know, as desirable or you know, in mm. the culture. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's like the double standard and the um the very heteronormative stuff I'm talking about. Like right. You can marvel about Nadal's muscles, but then like Serena Williams or Samantha Stosa, it's another one I put in the folder, has yes. amazing muscular arms. Um, but then, yeah, you get all heaps of... You get comments mainly by... Um, oh, I think men and women actually just saying, no, that's not attractive for a woman. A woman shouldn't have arms like that. It's an interesting exercise when you start to look for the positives. You know, you're just like, right, what is it about this person and how they're, how they're built and what they can do that's worth admiring? Because they're all incredibly capable. You know, they're, they're at the top of their field. You know, they're... Um, and I do take inspiration from it, I think. And I think that's like a, that's a nice... That's a good thing about sports, you know, that, it, that people are inspired to to play and to, you know, and to work on their bodies and to care for their bodies. I think that's sort of like, that's one of the, the reasons sports are important, even when people seem to think that they're frivolous and not important. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But, but we just also need to be like, people take care of their bodies in a range of ways and focus on different things. And people start off with different body types Mm -hmm. and there's a myriad of them and they're beautiful they're all beautiful and um special and functional in their own ways and we need to um celebrate all body types Mm -hmm. it's time to take a little look at uh some of the fashion trends on display at the australian open 2021 take a little visit to matt's fashion corner matt Let's cut your eye this week. So we've got Feliciano Lopez in his second round match against Sonigo. Um, just what do you see there, David? What's your first impression? Right, so he's wearing uh, the hydrogen outfit and it's um, it's like a black and white shirt and the black, there's, it's almost like black how would you call it, like radio waves or like frequency scratches? Yeah, yeah. It's like Uh, a scribble. Yeah, it's almost tie-dye, but it's a bit more defined, Um, black and white. Uh, Yeah, like a a seismograph even. Right. Seismograph, um, what what do you call those things? Yeah, or or an electrocardiogram, or like you know, <laughs> yeah. like the, the the pattern is very much, um, yeah, like uh, like high frequency and, and sharp. Yeah, um, um, I've maybe even bats, you know, like 
Like bats in a surrealist painting? Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I do feel like there's a bit of the... I mean, anytime you're dealing with that type of abstract pattern, there's a little bit of the Rorschach element. Like, I feel like almost like I get a, like a screaming vibe from it. Like almost like, <laughs> yeah. a, like, a, like a horror movie face, like distorted, noisy. Yep. And Hydrogen are known for their kind of edgy designs. They wanna, they've got that... Um, their logo is the skull skull logo yeah kind of like a Nothing, pirate without the crossbones nothing's edgier than a skull yeah <laughs> not afraid to about death you know to confront that's death. right that's right and the radio waves are just on the kind of vest area of the shirt and the sleeves are just white yeah, it's kind of a, it's a balanced look overall. I think he's he's wearing uh, yellow Asics Tiger sneakers, um, white socks, you know, white wristbands, and so the sleeves are white. It's kind of regular like crew T-shirt length, and then the hydrogen headband that he's wearing with the with the skull logo is a black headband with a white skull. So it, it does have, I, despite its like aggressiveness, um, it feels pretty imbalanced to me. Yeah, it's balanced. And then of course, Feli pulls off the headband with his long kind of flowing hair. Um, I think the Asics yellow shoes are really, they're kind of like golden sun yellow as well. Mm, and yeah. they, they really pop. Like, I don't think all tennis players think about their shoes in relation to their outfit. Often they're a different brand to the rest of their clothes. But here I think Feli has really, he's got his black and white monochrome kind of look and then just the pop of yellow shoes it really really finishes things for me yeah right yeah I like it a lot but what do you I notice about his shorts David <laughs> well in the picture that you're sharing one of the shorts one of the short legs is hiked very short it's very but short I... it's got like almost two legs and it looks in the photograph it looks like that's how the outfit's meant to be it's just that he's serving actually and he's been like getting the balls out of one pocket so that's kind of the way his shorts have fallen when he's receiving the other short leg seems to drop um, right but if you just flick forward past the photo of Sonigo and then to the next one of um, Belly you can see him from a different angle and again the short leg is hiked up. Yeah, it's a good one. I think hydrogen can be polarizing, but I think this is uh, this is one I would certainly wear. Myself. Yeah, I, yeah, I, and I like that you can sort of piece the bits together. You know, they've got lots of it's um, you know they've got shorts and headbands and with all the skulls and stuff. You know, kind of fit them together around different shirts and. You can kind of mix and match, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, if we just go back to Sonigo, Sonigo, who, who lost the match, is wearing Mizuno. Mizuno, is, yeah. You know, that Japanese brand known for making baseball gloves and stuff. Right. Would you like to uh, describe this one? Well, I, it's not really worthy. I mean, it's, it's blue and white. It's got, <laughs> it's got like, um, yeah. straight lines on an angle. Um, Kind of like a golf, kind of golf shirt. It doesn't really do it for me. 
Yeah, it feels it feels like an 80s tennis shirt a little bit too, like the kind of noise, like it's, you know, there's like this patterned structure that's a little bit, like it kind of feels pseudo-random, but it's, you know, it's all just in part of the shirt and it's on a diagonal and, um, yeah, not enthusiastic about it. Yeah, it's not, it's not good 80s, it's like a, kind of a 2020 take on the 80s that failed to... So let's go to um, Naomi Osaka now. Okay. Tell us about Naomi Osaka's uh, Nike kit. Um, well, gosh, the she's she's mainly wearing kind of um, black and grey patterned um, suit underneath, like. It looks like it could be one piece, but I'm sure it's probably just a vest and then leggings. But then she's got this peach, like fluoro peach colored skirt and matching wristbands. And the shoes incorporate both the peach and sort of black and gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's got the black and gray cap and then her, her hair is spilling out the top in a kind of afro yeah it looks it's a very good look yeah i'm not as into the pattern here but i do love the like the peach accents and the shoes are terrific i really like the the two-tone multi-tone kind of um patterning on the on the sneakers um you don't call them sneakers in honest do you not generally anyway um, we do yeah we know what sneaker. We know what it means. You know what they are. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. What do we say though? I mean, sneakers is a good word because tennis shoes. Yeah, tennis shoes, sports shoes, sand shoes sometimes. Well, often tennis shoes are used like as a general term for sneakers, but they're not always meant for tennis. So um, I yeah, find tennis that more sh- confusing. Yeah, it is more confusing because tennis shoes today, like, aren't what tennis shoes like. Tennis shoes is a fashion term meaning those kind of like Stan Smith um, Adidas shoes. Uh, uh, you know, that's like a very simple with a round toe. And... Do you want to move on to uh, Grigor Dimitrov, like continuing a little Nike section here? Sure. So Grigor's just got the t-shirt and this is kind of like the line we saw last year where it's um, really they've gone back to their 1980s Andre Agassi kind of era where they've got the strong Nike logo and then they've got those kind of um, well in in this t-shirt that Grigor's wearing it's kind of an aqua green and uh, fluoro pink and you know these kind of speed lines and yeah I think it's more teal personally then Arteal, yeah, you could put yeah. And the dotted lines, and just it's so 80s. But I love this picture because he's got his um, leopard print mask hanging off one ear. Yeah, uh, that's actually the part of his outfit that I appreciate the most. Um, and I think that it kind of harkens back to what he was wearing at last year's Australian Open, which basically looked like kind of abstract leopard print patterned. Uh, Nike wear. I feel like Nike was being much more adventurous with their kit a year, year and a half ago, and 
currently it feels like a little retro and a little simple to me. Um, or, and I'm not simple, but just, I don't know, not adventurous in the way that intrigues me, you know? More, more kind of tapping into nostalgia than pushing in new directions. Yeah. Um, are you meaning like, because they're not really doing the Andre Agassi stuff this year? Yeah, well, they had they they were earlier in the year. I find I I can't recall what the men's kit this year looks like. Do you have any pictures of that that we can describe? Um, and no, but if you not right here, but if you think of what Nadal's wearing and what the women are wearing, like um, like Fidelina, did she do that? that video of like trying on all the outfits yes right so it's the, kind of there's the a bit of yeah yeah the tiktok she's wearing like there's like pink and the brown kind of color as well tan tan i guess you'd say um it's yeah it's not very adventurous yeah it's not it's not bad or offensive, just not really something that stands out to me. Kind of feels like sports, you know, pretty good sportswear. As for Rafa, like, I mean, he, he always has his own kit within the Nike line, so I'm yeah. curious about the, the kit that's more common. And I'm not sure who's representing that on the men's side, but, but look for... Okay. Yeah, okay, we'll do... <laughs> Nike line. Let's go into the computer and find out. Yeah, so with Rafa, right, there's again, we've got this like, it's the same, I mean, Naomi Osaka is sporting the same color, this kind of peach stripe and striped look for the men. Um, so that's the Rafa look. Well, let's move on to the ones that, that you've collected for us so that we can. Uh... So um, then we've got Tennis Sangren. Yeah, who's representing him now? We were talking about how he was represented by Latour right. last year and was, you know, was showing off his guns. But... Right, Latour as well, it's this funny brand that's kind of like board shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like all the low-ranked Australian players, um, like Luke Saville, the doubles player, and right. people of that ilk are, um, are wearing Latour. But um, Sangren's gone to Yoksoi, the Japanese okay. brand inspired by Samurai. Um, they actually say that on their website. Mm. And Bublik was wearing Yoksoi. Not many people wear it. Bublik was wearing Yoksoi, but now I don't think he is anymore. And we've got Sangren. It's kind of like, it's a bit fashion. It's got the label on the collar. Yeah, right, yeah. And it's kind of got this beehive hexagonal pattern on yeah that. hex grid yeah it's a very subtle um pattern like the sort of thing you wouldn't necessarily pick up from a distance but um you could definitely play some tabletop uh role-playing games on this shirt oh yeah some some role-playing games i don't know if sandgren's into that sort of thing but I don't think he would. I think he would like call those people nerds loudly. Nerd. Yeah, I don't know if he's like a real like, you know, get into the imagination space 
role-playing kind of guy. But Sangren is a surprising character in various ways. Yeah, maybe we're selling him short. We'll ask him someday join our D&D campaign. I wonder if he's happy that um, Trump is acquitted from the impeachment trial. Mm, yeah, disappointing news. Yeah, I, you know what? Yeah, my guess is that Sandgren is happy about that and thinks that the whole thing is just a political sideshow. Like, you know, the way that most people with Republican leanings seem to believe that um, nothing happened. January 6th it's like they just like they forgot that uh, a group of their supporters decided to you know storm the, the house of our government the seat of our government but you know Trump's out of office um, you know I hope uh, hope Sandgren and Isner and the rest you know like we'll come to terms with it and just accept that we're gonna have some basic adult leadership now yeah um, Moving along. We've got Rajiv Ram. What's he wearing? So he's wearing New Balance. Um, I really like New Balance this year. Hmm, yeah. Confuse it a bit with Nike because it's also got that peach. The peach is a bit yeah. more faded in the New Balance. I think it's just slight. But it's like mainly black and white. Like kind of what we were saying with hydrogen when you've got that black and white and you, white and you add a splash of colour. Um, can really work. I don't think his shoes quite match. They're a bit too orange, not so peach. And then the New Balance is um, a pale blue on the shirt, on just a little logo. Um, that's, that works. What do you think? Yeah, a little bit all over for me. Like, it doesn't feel in balance. Um, you know, I do like the peach. It almost seems in this photograph like his uh, sneakers are somehow off from the peach. Like, the sneakers are a little bit more orange. Than yeah, the but they are the same shows. brand, so I, I think it's maybe just the, the photograph. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find, you have another... I, you know, I think they do this thing now where the tournaments specify like a key color for the event. And it gets it gets reflected in various of the clothing lines here mm. to kind of create. Like I I feel confident that they did that maybe at the French Open last year, where there was like a consistent repeating, um, like I don't know what you call it, sort of like an off green, like a faded, desaturated green color that was reused over and over again in various lines and and by the tournament. So. Yeah, I see the, um, I don't know who um, this player is wearing New Balance uh, on the women's side with the polka dot skirt. Oh, that's Masaki Doi. Masaki Doi, yes. Um, but that I like. I think that's a really good look. And, yeah. and the shoes are a little different. Uh, the, the New Balance, the color is a little richer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's not bad. What else have we got there? I wanted, oh, what about Serena Williams' catsuit? Yeah, I mean, always a bold look. Um, and interesting that the gear has the, like, encompasses her entire right leg. Um, something I've noticed as a trend, like watching the NBA this year, is that 
compression sleeves have become extremely popular, presumably for reasons of you know physical need. That, you know, like physical therapists are probably recommending uh, compression sleeves for a variety of ailments. I've started to use some for my calves because I had a pretty significant calf injury this year from running, and. It's actually noteworthy. I, I'll watch the New York Knicks, uh, you know, while crying, um, as a <laughs> thing to do. And I'm just like, who's? You can't see anybody's legs. Um, the one rookie, Emmanuel Quickly, like he's partially noteworthy to me because you can see his legs and you can identify him on the court because everybody's just got full compression sleeves everywhere. So anyway, it's interesting. I like this outfit. Can you buy it? Can you buy it with the one leg sleeve? Can you choose which which leg it goes on? I don't know. It's like highly fitted, isn't it? And like um, like uber fashion. Maybe it's made specifically for Serena, and maybe only she can wear it. I bet they have a, I bet they have versions that are available for sale because that's that's part. I bet they're high end. I bet you spend more money for them. Um, I don't know if we described it fully. I mean, you called it a cat suit. It is like a one piece. With um, I don't know how you describe it. It's got like bold swaths of color, red and pink and black. Uh, There's sort of like a lighter blue stripe around the collar. Yep, which She's matches the headband. Yep, it matches the blue headband. Look at the um, look at the wrist. It seems like it's kind of like got an inbuilt like bangle, like a mm. yeah. That's really interesting. I would like to see another picture. I'll have to look for that next time I watch her play. Um, yeah, like there's a bit of texture in the wrist. It's, you know, is she just like, does she have like a, a series of scunchies under there that she's, you know, she just happens to roll the fabric over? Or maybe that he's a wristband. Yeah, or or they are bangles, like they're, there's, there's jewelry under there. Look at the shoes. They're pretty white. That's, that's a good choice because um, hmm. it doesn't clash with the rest of them. Oh. Yeah. It's a very, like, yeah, it's a very clean look in a way. Like, the, the strokes of color are, like, very defined. and um, It's interesting. She always looks interesting. No doubt about it. Yeah. That's definitely the most fashion, inverted commas. Um, yeah. All the looks. Um, just briefly, Vasek Kospisil is wearing this new Canadian brand called Ionic. Oh yeah, okay, so it's got like, a, it's like little parentheses. Yeah. I didn't recognize him, you know, without the maple syrup uh, <laughs> container. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, he's really spruiking Canadian brands at the moment on his Instagram. He's like, Canadian natural products, natural mm. scented candles, Canadian candles, and mm. um, he's doing his for the Canadian economy, but this this ionic um, thing is just it's just basically a t-shirt with a kind of gradient blend from red to white, and it's fine, but there's nothing special. Sorry, ionic. Yeah, 
come up with something like better a, next time. It's boring. Yeah, like you went into Photoshop and just like stretched the gradient from the <laughs> bottom to top. It's really not. It's like the default gradient too. Like when they teach you how to use gradients, I think this is the one. Like the specific color scheme. All right, so the intern did this. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, it's an up-and-coming label, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it moving yeah. forward. Um, what, what about Coco Golf, also in New Balance? Um, the Hesca is black and white stripes, but with um, kind of these blue-white icicles dripping down. Oh, is that what they are? I thought, looking at this earlier, I thought that it was like a cityscape. Well, it so could be. It's like a it's cloud cloud cityscape. Skin, isn't it? Um, yeah. I just thought icicles just then, but yeah, it could be like uh, an upside-down cityscape. I like. I think you're right. I think it's more like icicles. I was just kind of taking the impressionistic uh, view of things. But and it, again, we've got the peach on top. It's more of a faded peach. Um, and it matches the headband, matches the faded peach top. Yeah, I think it's a cool look. I, I would, it would be nice if there was like a men's kit that kind of had a similar striped stripes against. to do much to make it a men's outfit and you could totally. just wear that, that outfit as it is. I'd be happy with that. Um, but you could, if you didn't want to wear the skirt, you could just turn those into shorts and maybe make the, the um, top into a bit more of a shirt rather than a halter neck um, sleeveless top, which Coco uh, Golf's sporting. But look at her shoes. See how the shoes tie every part of the outfit in? It's got the hint yeah, right. of the black and white yeah. stripes, and it's got that blue and the peach. Yeah, the, the accenting is always super critical. Matt in our Slack was share, shared this article about John Millman uh, complaining about like you know players ranked in the 30s being called journeymen. You know, like Philip Krajinovich was called a journeyman by mm. one of the commentators. It's like a very deep insult. But I mean, I think there's a really good point there, which is like, hey, these are actually like some of the best players in the world. And they sort of get looked down upon because they're not like Djokovic or Rafa or Roger. And, but that's sort of like the way the sport works because they don't play as much, you know? Like the top players are there at the end every week. And people like Krajinovic or Milman, they play a match or two on Monday and Wednesday and maybe they have a little run. But, you know, how are, you know, most average fans don't see them as much, um, except at these big events where there's just attention on, all the things happening. Yeah, I've always, I've sort of, until this discussion came up, which I saw, I think I've interpreted journeyman sort of differently to how a lot of these people in this discussion were interpreting it. I've, I've sort of always interpreted it to be as like a really consistent high-level player 
who right. maybe is not always like winning Grand Slams or whatever, but is always consistently just grinding it out and being good. But the way these people were framing it was just like it's someone who's just sort of like taking the dregs and being at the bottom and just sort of sort of being around, which is not really what I thought about it before. But yeah, yeah, because I think um, like in this conversation, that's true. Like lots of people are like it's not an insult, you know. It's like a good player and like some. Of, if you look at some of the definitions of what journeyman means, it means like a competent player who's consistent and like always there. So like you know, journeymen, um, they're there for like a long, a long journey. But I I think the reason why Milman objected is because that term usually isn't used for a player ranked quite so high as Krajinovic. It's like more mm-hmm. like a player who's managed to stay like around the top 100 or, or something like that and like always yep. there but, but never has had like the excess. And then he's like Krajinovic is an elite player because he's been in ranked in in the top 30 before and like don't dis- don't disrespect him like that yeah the comparison was like you know if you were looking at the nba the 30th best player in the nba is like a borderline all-star and somebody you really want on your team and somebody people pay to go watch and mm. it's not quite the same in tennis and it's not yeah, I I don't think journeyman has to be like an insult, but at the same time, like it would be nice if players, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, like got a little bit more airtime. But that's I think that's one of the reasons I love the slams is because it's when you discover these players, you know, kind of on the fringes, like on the way up, like somebody who has a deep run out of nowhere, but you know is generally consistently good. I mean, Millman, I might not know him if it wasn't for like how he's played at the AO. You know, that match against Roger last year was awesome. Like, you know, I think a lot of people would only experience him in that context. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. But it's great to know all the person. Like, it makes tennis more interesting when you know a a multitude of personalities, like even hundreds of personalities, like all how their own quirks and... Well, maybe that's the thing. Like, not everyone has a lot of quirks. Some people are quite kind of boring, robotic um, athletes. Well, how was Alex Bolt? I haven't seen much of him. Was he? Is he a bit of a personality? I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I think it's I think one of the things about personality is it takes a little time to latch on. You know, like like I think I've probably seen a little bit of Alex Bolt in the past in passing. And this is the first time I really watched a match. I mean, he's lefty. He he looks like he's in terrific shape. Um, and, you know, he was out there battling. And I don't know, just seeing him play one match that was really entertaining endeared me to him. And now I may look for him. But, you know, uh, until I watch him for five matches, ten matches, it's hard to really say, like, well, what defines Alex Bolt? I, you know, I, I don't know that I have a clear read on that yet. Well, he's gone up against some heavyweights in at the Australian Open before in the last two years, I think. Like, I think he took team, took a set or two off team, maybe. Right. And some someone else, may, I can't remember who it is now, but he's. It seems to be he really shines here. Um, but also something to note uh, that he's lost the frosted tips, which I'm a fan of. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him losing the frosted tips. Let yeah. Me make that clear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I right. liked the frosted tips. <laughs> <laughs> You look like he was from like a band in the nineties or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, no. And I was, uh, we were talking about as we were watching the match that he's maybe the first tennis player I've ever seen endorsed by Lululemon as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I said like he kind of looks like he's he, he should be endorsed by Tommy Bahama. Like that's you know <laughs> kind of like you know like a I don't even know what the color is like this sort of like you know dull pink t-shirt you know just like a plain t-shirt and like some short shorts like he looks like he's ready to kind of like cruise down the boardwalk yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like i'm sure that the frosted tips like probably even took that further into like surfer bro territory but now it's, yeah. it seems almost like a surfer bro who's grown up who's you know <laughs> kind of take van. things a little bit more seriously yeah probably like has a kid on the way or something he's got to get a little yeah. bit more serious yeah he takes care of the other like the kids down down at the surf club you know he, he looks that's after right them. yeah he was, yeah, he he was started, he, one of them <laughs> he started his own surf club it's like it's like the retired boxer who you know, yeah, opens the local the boxing gym. gym to kind of give yeah. the youth like a reason to get off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Please. Alex Bolt's future career. <laughs> this is great. I think we got another stage play brewing. <laughs> I keep calling them stage plays, but really they're radio plays. Um, so yeah, isn't Lululemon a... They're radio plays, yeah, yeah. Um, but isn't Lululemon a yoga yoga brand? I think that's mostly what they're associated with. Yeah, like f- female apparel for like work, like active wear for women, basically, and yoga centric. Yeah, but I looked at their thing, and I think they're trying to do more like athletic. You know, a bit more. This is this is maybe their push, like Uniqlo, you know, pushed into sponsoring a bunch of people to, to get into the pro world. Maybe this is Lululemon's time to shine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't want to be niche. Like they don't want to yeah. just be like hot pants for for yoga people. It's like, oh, like serious male athletes wear Lululemon. Like that that yeah. opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Yes. And it's the law of capitalism. You got to keep expanding. You got to keep right. growing your business and finding new markets. Otherwise, you'll cease to be relevant and you'll get overtaken by other companies. I think there's been a movement in recent years, very clearly, towards uh, players who who meditate and speak openly about meditation as part of their practice, as part of their training. Um, I know Bianca Andreescu has been kind of famous for this. There's there's also a um a, a podcast. I think the Tennis Channel in the U.S. put it on. They they started it with Victoria Azarenka hosting, and she talks to like mindfulness, like mental health coaches, uh, in mm. each of the episodes. So it's very much like focused on the training the mind to handle adversity part of the game. And I think it's really interesting that it's crossed over into, into sport in the way that it has. Well, Shapovalov has been trying to implement it in his changeovers in his sit downs. He's been trying to, you know, the last, at the end of, from probably the halfway through last year or something, he'll get to the changeover and just sit there with his eyes closed for the whole time and, and just, you know, just go internal and then wait for, yeah, every, every changeover. So, yeah. Alex, you were saying, why don't players like put some headphones on? Like that would really assist them being like med- meditation, like their meditation kind of when they're 
in between um, mm. like at change events and stuff. It's, I don't yeah, think no one ever just, does that. Yeah, there's just sometimes, you know, there's some of the tournaments where they play big promo videos on the big screen and the, and the music from the ads is so loud and it's just noise and this cacophony of noise in a big stadium. Sometimes I feel like it'd be so annoying, not just distracting, but just irritating. I was wondering why don't oh, people definitely annoying. put headphones on, but but um, David reckons it's probably illegal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the idea that they might be receiving coaching or something, but I, I don't think it's illegal for them to consult notes, right? Like we've seen seen that on yeah. some occasions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I do think, though, that as a fan, I don't really want them tuning out the fans. Like I think that's part of part of the challenge is that they're playing in a pressure-packed environment. Um, yeah, I do I, see that point of view as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I was wondering, like, you know, there have been all these matches this year with no fans. And it's it still feels like it's hard to reckon that anybody really benefited from that. You know, you would think maybe somebody who's like a real hothead or like has trouble in big moments might actually be better because the, there isn't that fan noise. But I don't know. I, have, I don't think there's any real trends to speak of. It seems like. That, you know, these are pros. They play every day and they get out there and the competition just kind of takes care of itself, you know. Um, and may maybe on the biggest stages, you know, that's where you really see the difference. Like somebody like Novak who still like the the way he handles big points is sort of astounding. You know, he, he just never looks rattled you know, under pressure. Whereas, you know, somebody like Sasha Zverev, it's like, oh, God, here comes another double fault. You know, yeah. Speaking of, did you see the Zverev versus Medvedev the other day in the ATP Cup yesterday? Maybe I didn't actually catch that match. Uh, uh, tell us about it. So it was the second match of the tie. Uh, the first match, Rublev had beaten um, Jan Leonard Struff. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't remember the score, but so. You know, it was up to Zverev to keep Germany in the tie, basically. And I didn't watch all of it. I was sort of caught maybe little bits here and there. But I I think there was another match on that I was watching at the time. I think it might have been the Warinka and Bolt match that I was watching at the time. Uh, anyway, okay. uh, I caught the last part of it. And Zverev was up a break in the third. So they'd won a set each and it was in the third. And Zverev was up a break in the third. Uh, and then he was serving for the match, I think. And double faulted <laughs> twice in that game. Uh, no. and Medvedev broke back and went on to win it. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that. And I, I conjured up an example of a player who chokes under pressure. And that's exactly what happened. It's Yeah. And on the last, sort of, on, the, yeah. on the break point, on the break point, he, he, he faulted. And he was going for his second serve. And he tossed it up and caught the toss and everyone was like, here it comes. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> absolutely 100% chance he's about to double fault because he threw it up, caught it. It was just like in two minds what serve he was going to hit and he went to hit like a softer serve and it was just way out, like really bad double fault. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mm. He does, they were, I was watching some of a match that he played earlier in the week. I think it might have been against Djokovic and there was this stat about how how poor his second service, you know, play is just generally. I mean, the double faults are part of it, but 
you know, he wins something around like 40% of his points on a second serve. And it's like, this dude is right there at the top of the game and that's the biggest hole. And if he can just work that out, he probably is going to start winning majors. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because I really dislike him and I don't think he's a good person. But, um, you know, I also like having people to root against. But I don't find his matches entertaining. Like he... He's kind of he's a little bit of a serve bot, I think. Yeah, he is. I, he he does he does lock it down and get into some long baseline rallies and stuff like that. But I but I do agree that it, it's not that exciting. And he he's the, the overall tone is sort of more of a serve bot tone. <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah, I think that's you know right. what I mean. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He's not. He does. He can play tennis like beyond just dominating people with his serve but he tends to dominate people with his serve and that's part of it and just right Mm. the tenor the feeling of the match is like not one of joy or expressiveness it's just like very like it always feels very serious and dry and awful yeah who's sorry i I tapped out (laughs) a bit there um joy joyless who plays joyless tennis besides Zverev, that's a good question I mean, oh, you, Raonic, you know, has we've been, we've discussed many times. We're still, yeah, we're still on Zverev, hey? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you found that the conversation about Zverev was joyless, and therefore you tuned it out. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is interesting when someone has a problem with, like, um, their serve and they can't, they, they break down. Um but yeah, I've never really got on board with Zverev, and then I heard about his domestic dispute, and with it, and then I, I just, you know, like you can't, we can't know for sure what he did or didn't do, but I just, I can't help, yeah, not like him now that because I think he hit his girlfriend. Yeah, well, speaking of that, there's a little Curious's girlfriend put up a. A story the other day about um, cheaters are never okay or whatever. It doesn't matter about the talent. Like it was a bit vague, and you know, she didn't say his name or anything. But it was just like, uh, yeah, talking about cheaters and oh, and domestic abuse and stuff. And everyone's like, whoa, what just happened there? And now she's made her account private because everyone just it started blowing up. But it was, <laughs> no. um, yeah, let me just find the twi- find the story. It's on Twitter. Is it, I think. What's her was, name? Is he still dating Colin Skaya? No, he's been dating this not tennis player. Um, uh, hang on, let me. Sh- you, you think Nick Kyrgios isn't a faithful man? <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise, <laughs> or what? Wait, yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to nix the conversation or anything. But we did discuss the other night that instead of talking about Nick Kyrgios, we would just instead talk about Alex Bolt. Like, you know, sort of like how instead of calling it Margaret Court Arena, we just call it Yvonne Gulagong Arena. Um, yeah. just to pull our attention somewhere else so you know yeah and i definitely broke that rule that i agreed on but i just, it just popped up <laughs> two days ago in, in between our last one it's it's felt like a bit of a rather than talking about his tennis it was this was sort of an That's interesting right. one but yeah anyway yeah no um, the, i mean the question then is just has anybody vague booked about alex bolt's personal life recently and i think the answer is no yeah yeah Probably not. So the other night there was this surreal scene at the Australian Open because uh, the Victoria state government decided to 
implement a, a sort of like a flash lockdown. They, they decided to lock down for five days. Uh, and they did this, they made the decision in the afternoon and because of uh, a an outbreak. I, 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 it's really hard for me to call that an outbreak because I feel like 13 people testing positive is something that we see common that is very common in the United States and it's it's strange to even really reckon with the idea that 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 level of um you know of infection would or transmission rather would trigger this kind of aggressive response but that's the way Australia's been about it and Victoria in particular so they decided to lock things down you know in the afternoon and then for whatever reason this there's the curfew became midnight and so any matches that weren't completed by 11.30 p.m., they needed to empty the stadium of all the people who were still on the grounds so that they could get home by midnight. So there's this really strange scene. It's not a particularly noteworthy match between Novak Djokovic and Taylor Fritz. Novak was uh, suffering physically, and that let Taylor Fritz get back into the match after going down two sets to love. Wait, and... it wasn't particularly noteworthy until that point i think as a tennis match i mean do you disagree i didn't watch the match i only read about it but um just just with it going five sets and with um taylor fritz almost winning there at the end um and the injury and the crowd leaving I guess I, right. it seemed really dramatic, but you are saying it, the tennis part of it wasn't noteworthy. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. It's just the just the tennis part. The the right the circumstances. I mean, we're talking about it as it's it was a very memorable match because I guess Alex kind of you know he teased it in a in a message that he sent to the two of us where he said you'll never see this again. You know, it's like something you'll never see again. That's probably and right. that's true. Yeah, because it was. That the whole notion of a stadium being empty before a match is concluded was very strange. It's kind and of dystopian, right? Government yes. regulations decree that no viewers can watch a ten- this tennis match anymore. The game will go ahead with zero spectators. Please leave immediately and be home in your houses before midnight when the curfew begins. Yeah, exactly. It's. I think there is some, there's an aspect to it that bothers me because it is... Um, it just doesn't feel like it's respectful of people's basic humanity. Like the, I, I just chafe at the like the idea that the, the time would matter. You know, it's like it's this very authoritative kind of thing. Like, and I and I get why you would have a curfew in a situation where people are really at risk. And I think I think that's part of also why I'm I'm really freaked out or disturbed by, uh, you know, Premier Andrews and and the way he speaks about this problem. Like he acts as if he is taking extreme action because we need to keep everybody safe. And that's just an inarguable fact of why they're taking the actions they are. But to me, locking down a city of five million people and telling them they must stay in their homes for five days starting tonight is it, it, it's an, to me, it's an overreaction. But it, it, it's really hard to I, I, I struggle to argue it because then again, Melbourne and Victoria and Australia have have had fewer fatalities because of COVID than than like my state had in this weekend, you know, 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's yeah, that, that's true. Um, I guess it is concerning though, because if the government can can do this um, kind of lockdown stuff to us under these circumstances, which which seem like fair enough, we could have certainly make a case it's like for health and for people's safety, but. Is too much of a if too much of a precedent gets set for locking people down when the government want to do that, um, they could do it in different circumstances as well, where maybe I don't mm. know there's protests or or something like that, and they already have yeah, used right. the pandemic to make protests illegal, outdoor protests with COVID plans, COVID mm. safe plans. And allowed shopping centres and sporting events and workplaces in arguably more at-risk situations and in less less safe conditions to go ahead at the same time. So there's been a bit of a double standard. Obviously, in Melbourne now, we're just talking about blanket lockdowns for everyone. But yeah, there are certainly people who are calling it an overreaction for just a handful of cases. Yeah, I mean, I just also think the precedent it sets is is kind of concerning. I, I, I maybe I'm not so worried about the the slippery slope argument. The idea that mm-hmm. the government could wield this in another situation. I, I I'm really and maybe I'm thinking about it too narrowly, but I do think that you know I, like when I heard there's a five day lockdown, my immediate thought is like, okay, so my friends in Melbourne are going to be locked down for six weeks, like. What, what's going to change between now and five days from now? Like almost certainly um, more people will test positive. I mean, that's that's the thing. Community transmission has taken place. Um, people who worked in these hotels went out into the world and some people got sick. And it's really hard to contain once that happens. Uh, and I hope I'm wrong. You know, I mean, Melbourne, uh, you know, I, I was worried about this scenario for a long time. And I, I think I'm also a little saddened that it, it, it dovetails with the tennis because the tennis means a lot to me personally and I, I don't I don't like that people of the of the city of the state are suddenly hostile towards this thing that that I really care about because there just happens to be this coincidence of of um, you know of outbreak but I'm also like we have to this is a disease that at some point you have to learn to accept its existence in the world. And I, I think that there is a more moderate approach to managing the disease that doesn't involve ex- like full community, I mean, not community lockdowns, citywide, statewide lockdowns. Um, yeah, so, certainly the way yeah. Sydney managed the second wave kind of outbreak uh, in December was that they locked down the northern beaches area only um, because that's where the outbreak happened and I think in Melbourne now the problem is in hotel quarantine yeah and that's really and so that's why I think locking down the whole city is kind of a blunt instrument to deal with a very specific um, uh, problem now like if we just look at um there's a political artist in Melbourne called Van Rudd, and um, he's been putting up these um, kind of 3D 
um, um, kind of paper mache sculptures around town. And his latest one is affixed to a public tennis court. And it's um, a hotel quarantine worker's face with a mask over it. And there's a speech bubble coming out of his face. And it says, been working in hotel quarantine. Truth is, these masks suck. And the ventilation took the virus to me. Private yeah. hotels shouldn't be pandemic clinics. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I'm glad the Australian Open is closed. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's a problem so much that the Australian Open necessarily creates more risk, you know, if it's managed properly, but it's just that people on the front lines are, you know, getting the virus and having difficult conditions and aren't necessarily getting sick leave or um, paid um, well and don't have the, the personal protective equipment that they should have and are getting angry and then, um, you know, the tennis is getting a lot of resources thrown at it so that it's able to go ahead. that's causing a sort of disparity um, or a feeling of disparity among the general public um, versus the international tennis community. If the government um, really put the resources into hotel quarantine or like founded an alternate solution to hotel quarantine uh, and paid the workers better and gave them better equipment and everything you could really um you could really make things a lot safer and nicer for everybody and then who knows like maybe the tennis could go ahead with crowds and people could have more freedom the fact that everyone has to pay everyone has to be locked up in their homes and that's melbourne people have had so much of that this pandemic um Right. And I understand why people would think that the tennis is to blame. And I, I suppose that on some level, that's not that's not totally misplaced criticism, but it, it was a decision made by the government to let people in. And I think to your point, the real mismanagement is coming with the quarantine. Like if they got community transmission down to zero in Victoria and they're allowing flights in and requiring people to quarantine, the quarantine conditions have to be such that people are are not introducing the virus. Um, and that failure seems to me like it's with the government, not like, you know, why didn't, why weren't they paying for better conditions and people who are more well-trained to deal with the scenario? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess if your goal is to keep things at zero and all of a sudden this international event is hosted and things are not zero, I mean, I get why people are, are upset about that. But I, I think tr I think trying to keep things at zero is, is a very difficult gambit. And at some point you have to let it go and say, we need to try to control things in a very targeted way without disrupting the lives of millions of people. Because I, I look, I'm in a position 
it doesn't if the government told me I had to stay in my house, it doesn't affect me. My job is in my house. I'm I'm well off. I'm comfortable. I have everything I need. I can just get delivery. I don't have to go anywhere. But that's not true for everybody. People have to go to work. And I yeah. think the chaos of it, the unpredictability of it and all of the side effects, it's it's as if you know, I, I feel like there's an attitude out there uh, amongst like very hardcore pro-lockdown measure type people that suggests that absolutely no sickness or death is acceptable. And it's it's really, I just think that it's, um, that there are other consequences here. There are other factors. It's not just cut and dry. Like we, the only thing is to protect people from this virus. Well, um, yeah, I mean, um, I think you do have to take protecting people from the virus very seriously. Um, but they also, you know, aren't locking down shop, shopping centers or hmm. giving people sick leave, you know, um, people have to go to work anyway, if they don't have if they're just casually employed. So a very easy thing the government could do would be like, if you're sick, we'll pay you to stay home, you know, don't go to work if you're sick. Um, right. Whether you have sick leave or not, we'll take care of that. Um, yeah. And we're going to, you know, I mean, and that would go to a point of like, why doesn't, why don't we always, why don't workers always have sick leave? Why do some workers have to go to work when they're sick anyway, or they don't get paid? Um, it raises questions for the way society is organized, but you could yep. certainly do things in a much um, fairer and safer way, but they're, they're on, the only lever they're pulling on now is locking down people from going out and uh, doing things, social things, like um, parties and bars and cafes and sporting events and stuff like that. But you still have to go to work. You still have to go to shopping centres and and all that kind of stuff. They're only reorganising the parts of society that suit the ruling class. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was curious if uh, the state government is paying people for this sudden five-day lockdown. You know, cafes that close for five days, are they, are they getting paid for that? Um, I think that's I mean, unclear because there have been different grants and like the JobKeeper, right. the JobKeeper um, allowance for uh, government pay the government to pay workers and businesses to um, survive, but that that kind of stuff is getting wound down, or it has been already reduced significantly from the levels when the um, pandemic first started. So yeah, um, that's it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's complicated. Well. The tennis continues with no fans. The tennis continues with no fans. Yeah, I have um, this Osaka Muguruza match on my laptop. Uh, Muguruza just served for the match at five four in the third, and was broken by Osaka, so it is now five all. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Why am I not watching? Why am I talking to you about the pandemic? Why are you going to be watching tennis? 